Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Yoni Asia from eToro. And eToro is a social investment network where if you, it's basically where Facebook meets uh, eTrade, pretty much. So, Yoni, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you very much. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for being on the show. So, <clears throat> yeah, why don't you, you know, why don't you tell us a little more about what eToro is? So eToro is a social investment network. Uh, basically, think about uh, people opening the brokerage account, but also sharing what they're doing in real time with everybody uh, able to see their their statistics and their results over time. So we believe there's millions of people out there who actually know how to manage their own money, while there are hundreds of millions of people out there who have no idea how to manage their money. Uh, and we are trying to connect between these people. So people that can become popular investors can have other people actually copy their investments. So if you look at my profile, you can see what I'm investing in, my track record as a user for a couple of years, and then you can decide to invest $1,000 on me, which means uh, it'll automatically open the same investments that I have in my portfolio in your portfolio. So I become sort of a passive money manager for your thousand or five thousand or a hundred thousand dollars that you decide to invest on me. Wow, interesting. So let's say let's say I, I decide to join you you know your investments. You know, what what's the upside for you? Do you get like a like a percentage or something? Sure. So we're a brokerage, uh, much like uh, a traditional securities brokerage. So uh, we make money out of the actual trades out of the volumes of the trades. Uh, so last year we did more than $200 billion in volume uh, of trades. Uh, we charge uh, mostly uh, the spreads, uh, usually with no minimum commissions. So what's uh, interesting is people can actually have a portfolio of investments with as low as $1,000, could have 20 different investments uh, in their portfolio. Yeah, okay, that's great. So I, I guess I might be kind of confused here. So let's say you know I have you know I'm I'm one of the greatest investors on eToro, and you know I let people copy me. But what's the upside for me as an investor oh, letting people you, copy? I, I thought you were asking regarding what the business model of eToro. Okay, so for you, uh, basically you get a sort of a, a money manager fee based on how many people are copying you. So if you have if you have hundreds of people copying you with uh, millions of dollars, uh, then you basically will get uh, a percentage of that that's under management. What we're doing is we're basically calculating it based on how many people are copying you. Uh, and depending on that, uh, you basically get a fixed amount every month. Wow, that is really interesting. You know, th this company is so interesting that I forgot to ask you my first question, which is normally, what is your background? Um, I'm uh, both a trader and uh, sort of a uh, uh, developer. Um, so I started both trading and developing when I was about uh, 15. Um, and uh, throughout my career, I was mostly uh, a developer, uh, first in the army. Afterwards, I started a company uh, with a couple of uh, friends of mine from the army, uh, which was eventually sold to Kodak. And I started eToro in 2006 when I was 26. So uh, now I'm already older, over my 30s. Wow, okay. So eToro, the name, you know, I, I kind of have a hint of what it means, but why don't you explain the name a little bit? 
Uh, it's actually an uh, electronic trading and order routing organization. Interesting. No, not really. It's an electronic, <laughs> an electronic bull. So basically, Toro is a bull in, uh, in Spanish, uh, and E is for, obviously, uh, e-commerce. Good, that's what I thought. You almost had me there. Um, okay, so you know, I know you, you're in Tel Aviv right now, and, and people say Tel Aviv is, is one of the top, you know, let's say the top three give or take startup scenes. You know, what? How is this, how does the startup scene in Tel Aviv compared to San Francisco? Uh, well, it's hard for me to compare. While I've been to San Francisco a couple of times, I've never lived in San Francisco. I, I lived in New York for a while. Um, I, I'd say it's probably uh, a bit different uh, for a couple of reasons, but first. Uh, there are a lot of Israelis here in Tel Aviv. Um, so it's somewhat of a different culture um, the, uh, from the valley, probably. Um, things are... are um, we're learning a lot from the valley. I think investors coming from the U.S. Uh, and invest in Israel are bringing a lot of the sort of the uh, U.S. wisdom, the valley wisdom. Uh, uh, there's huge offices of Facebook and Google here um, but uh, how, how does it differ I, I'd say it's it, you know Tel Aviv is somewhat of a mix of New York Silicon Valley and Los Angeles uh, that's Tel Aviv for you okay cool so is it is it spread out like Los Angeles fast-paced like New York and then a lot of tech companies so it's, <laughs> it's fast-paced as New York definitely so you, you get, I, we have a lot of foreigners, so we have about 200 employees in eToro, uh, and a lot of them are, are, are not Israeli in origin, so people from France, Italy, um, and I've heard that before that Israel is, is extremely intense, so people are extremely loud, and mm. people are running, it's, it's very much a New, a New York atmosphere, so uh, you, you, you have Israelis, a lot of Israelis actually in New York, New York is I would almost say calm uh, relatively to, to a lot of the Israeli pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are on the beach, right? Tel Aviv is on the beach, mm-hmm. uh, and it's more spread out. So from, from that point of view, it's actually more like uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of different hubs in the, in the center of Israel. Uh, so it's uh, on the beach, more spread out. Um, lots of people actually, you know, on coffee houses on, on the beach. Um, and it has the tech scene, which is more like the valley. So that's the combination I've done there. Okay. And over the years, have you observed that this 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 tech scene has started growing rapidly? Is then that's why it's ranked so high? Yeah, I think uh, we actually had. So first of all, tech scene has been exploding over the past ten years. Uh, but more than that, over the past uh, I'd say five years, specifically the internet industry in Israel has grown significantly. So I remember when we started seven years ago, uh, so we're somewhere in, in the cross-section between uh, the internet and, uh, and financial technology. Both w- were almost non-existent in 2007 when we started eToro. I remember people telling me, like, Israel are not good at consumer uh, internet and there are no consumer internet companies out of Israel and that you can't build any financial technology out of Israel because we're not New York, London, or Hong Kong. And I think in the past 
seven years, there's been a huge transformation, a huge leap forward. We had a couple of billion dollar exits uh, here uh, of internet companies. Uh, we got, I think, there were more than 10 M&As to Google, Facebook uh, mm -hmm. over the past 10 years. Uh, so the, a lot of uh, basically knowledge around uh, internet development, uh, online marketing, uh, and also a lot about uh, a lot about finance has emerged here in the past seven years. Wow. Okay. Cool. So you know, I noticed that um, for, for eToro, you know, it's not in the United States yet. Can Can you explain what's going on there? Well, we're focused in Europe. Okay. Uh, our main headquarters are in Europe, and uh, we're uh, we have about three and a half million users right now. Wow. Majority majority of which are uh, are in Europe. Um, people actually open brokerage accounts from more countries outside of Europe, so we have a small office in Australia uh, and some business uh, both in Asia and Latin America, uh, but really the focus of the company is Europe, and that's where we have the infrastructure of our brokerage and financial institution. And uh, we did uh, go to New York, basically starting to set up Vitoro USA, um, and at some point we figured out that it's going to be uh, hard for us company to scale the company both in the US and in Europe at the same time and since uh, we're already a 200 employee company uh, we're already significantly obviously invested as a financial institution and scaling in Europe so we're still scratching the surface so uh, we have you know significant volumes and are right, a medium size of the company but we're still 0.1 percent of the total market we can capture in Europe. Uh, and we looked at the US and realized we should do significant changes uh, and to what we're doing, basically to our technology and to our platform in order to adapt to the US market. So we said, uh, first scale in Europe and go to the US after. Got it. Okay, and you know we, we talked a little bit about revenues, uh, you know, be, before before you hopped on. So you know, what, what do revenues look like today? I, I think the description you gave is perfectly fine. Um, so so we're, we crossed about uh, a couple of years ago the thirty million dollars, uh, and we kept on scaling from there. Uh, so uh, uh, we're, we're significantly in the several dozens of millions uh, in revenues. Great, cool. So, is there? I mean, you know, I, I've never heard of this model before. It, it, it's it's it sounds really interesting. Is anyone else doing something like this? Well, there, there are different companies trying to approach. I'd say the problem in different uh, forms. I think in the U.S., uh, we've seen uh, interesting companies like Betterment from uh, New York mm -hmm. uh, and Wealthfront the Valley yeah. trying to offer. Wealth Management 2.0. Um, we haven't seen anything significant in the U.S. of really building a social network of investors. Yeah. Uh, one of our investors uh, is Howard Linsen, uh, uh, who's the CEO and founder of Stocktwits. So he's both an investor in Toro and Stocktwits. I think to some extent uh, is similar to the feed and the engagement on Toro, but not necessarily to the convergence of that to an online brokerage. So we're seeing around the world in some places different forms of solutions emerging to enable people to invest together 
and to enable people both to communicate with one another and to invest together. That sounds interesting. It's almost there's there's some similarities to AngelList here, um, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, okay, so yeah, I, I yeah. So I, I know Naval, and actually my wife is running a company called iAngels which is sort of a local uh, angel list here in Israel. <laughs> That's cool. We, we got to have her on the show sometime. Um, so, you know, tell me about, uh, you know, user acquisition. So how did you guys acquire your first 1,000 customers? Um, online marketing. So uh, we brought in uh, one of the founding team members uh, came from, uh, from the gaming industry. Uh, he had vast experience in building basically different channels. Uh, we have about roughly four main channels of acquisition. One is our affiliate program, uh, and the second is uh, media and SCM, and then the rest is uh, organic SEO direct and uh, and, refer- and referrals. Uh, and we, when we launched, we already had those four main acquisition channels on hand. And when we started, uh, our main growth was done through both affiliates and through media buying. Okay, perfect. And so, you know, obviously, you, you know, you scaled this company in 2006. You have 200 employees now. You're doing something that's really unique. Uh, you know, what's one big struggle you face while growing the business? I think um, one of the struggles of the business is always understanding where you are compared both to the market landscape and uh, where your customers want you to go. Um, so. There's uh, my brother, who's my partner and co-founder, uh, always uh, uh, l- likes to use uh, the famous sentence of Ford saying, uh, you can choose any color of a car you want to buy from us uh, as long as it's black. So I think we're developing something that's quite unique. Uh, we're not developing a product you know, like a camera or a TV or something that's structured and known. That's probably true to a lot of internet companies developing products over the internet. The utility function of what we're doing is quite obvious. It's uh, it's finance. Uh, it's uh, basically an investment platform. And there's always a big challenge between simplicity, between how do you create a product that's very simple for people both to understand and use, to the complexity required to actually generate profits in the markets, um, of, of course, in a consistent way that's even harder. So one of the biggest challenges is always to mitigate comple- the com- complexity uh, and features with simplicity. So simplicity is the ultimate form of sophistication, yeah? Yeah. Okay, great. And so, you know... What did you, I mean, is there anything you can share, anything actionable you can share with the audience in terms of how you've made something sophisticated and, and, and made it, you know, simple? Is there any specific story you can share so the audience can kind of, you know, get some ideas from it? Well, I, I think what we did generally in the platform is saying what's simple is sort of mutual fund management, right? So we're saying... You don't need, so it's extremely difficult to set up a mutual fund. Yep. So if, if you wanted now to set up a mutual fund and have people being able to buy that mutual fund through E-Trade, you'd need a very high amount of uh, equity, basically funds, experience, team structures, lawyers, accountants, 
where the point of simplification we've done, we've said anyone can actually, if he knows how to manage his own money, can sort of be that mutual fund and have other people copy what he's doing. So that's sort of a simplification, really, in, in the sense of how simple can it be to actually manage other people's money by only managing your own money and have people understand the risks and what they're doing is as managing their own money, not actually giving it to someone else, to a professional that has a professional liability on it, but they're giving it to a friend or to a colleague or to a person who has his own money as, as the liability to it. Uh, so I, I say that's the first level of simplification, really in the core idea. Um, we, we can talk, you know, a lot about which financial instruments we chose. So another example is when we launched, we launched with just seven stocks. So uh, when we basically launched our stock investing platform, we started by just adding seven stocks of the uh, main tech companies because we said that's what's interesting. So let's see how how can people build portfolios based on that, and that's that was oversimplification, but it was simple enough for us to actually launch something, show it, and see how people react to it. Wow. Okay. So, you know, obviously, you know, it's. For the first part is, is is you know you're removing all these roadblocks that you know E Trade has had before you know when when it comes to adding all these things to put together a mutual fund you remove that and then you've also I mean you've 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 pretty much I mean you've you've dumbed it down in the beginning where you've made it hey you only have these these few to choose with and so I mean at what point do you really decide you know you, you it's it's time to expand from these seven stocks? Well, I think and that's what I mentioned regarding the. Uh, you can choose only black uh, as a color to the car. Yep. It, it's really that level of listening to your customers, both from actually talking to them, but also from looking at the data and saying, this product isn't enough. And usually the answer there is either kill it, add to it, or redesign it. Um, and uh, a lot of in a lot of these examples, you need to add to it, um, and when you start adding to it, you're adding that complexity we talked about, um, and then you constantly need to evaluate every feature and every part of the platform and ask, do I kill it, do I add to it, or do I uh, basically redesign it and simplify it? Okay. And so you bring up a, a, an interesting point. I mean, you know, when it comes to user feedback, that's super important, especially in the early days. So how did you go about collecting user feedback? Um, we had a couple of systems to collect user feedback, but we also, as a, because we're a financial institution and our users actually deposit funds with us, um, and our lifetime value of customers is quite high, mm -hmm. so it's uh, in the hundreds of dollars uh, so when a user deposits in eToro, uh, they, then his lifetime value for us as a company is at the hundreds of dollars. Then we actually always had support almost from day one. Um, so uh, when you have that level of support and that level of engagement from users, you have to talk to them, hear their feedback, and constantly iterate. Okay, got it. Fair enough. And was there at any point in time where the company was on the brink of failure? 
Um, always. I mean, uh, we've failed a couple of times uh, and we constantly pivoted to the right direction, either failed in product or failed in a marketing campaign or failed in our acquisition or, uh, or then, you know, we try, I can say we try and celebrate failures, but maybe it's a culture thing. It's actually very hard for us uh, Israelis to fail and celebrate it. Um, but uh, I think we've seen a lot of micro failures uh, to some extent macro. So the first platform of the company was around a patent we wrote about uh, basically gamification and visualization of financial trading platform uh, that includes social gamification. So if think about four square more. Um, and uh, we realized that uh, basically the lifetime value of customers are low because they think it's oversimplified or over-gamified. We had to pivot to basically build a full-fledged financial trading platform that included more features to our users. Uh, then we realized we're becoming too much traditional brokerage, and we basically went back into social gamification, creating the entire network, allowing people to copy one another, see what other people are doing, uh, basically adding to the social elements we launched the first day that we launched the company. So we, we took a couple of phases. Um, now we're at the point of realizing we're going more and more toward bringing in great investors to eToro. So what you really want in eToro is to find hundreds, hundreds of people uh, where, which have consistent profits uh, but are also diversified. So if you're looking to invest in China, you really want to see the top 10 uh, customers investing in Chinese stocks on eToro to be able to copy them with a percentage of your portfolio. Uh, and you want to actually do the same with Germany and the UK and everywhere around the world. So we're now helping the ecosystems to sort of diversify and qualify better popular investors. Okay, got it. You know, one thing that really stuck out to me is, is you mentioned you, you pivoted multiple times. So how many times did you guys pivot in total? Well, I, I think there's, uh, I don't want to be misusing the word pivot. Um, so we, we changed the main, the, the, I'd say the main product of the company and, and what we're um, and where we're targeting it and, and the audience, I'd say about three times. Uh, but a lot of it is also natural, sort of natural upgrading. So we're going to launch uh, at the beginning of next year, you know, something that's already in beta, which is the eToro 2.0. So you can call it a, a pivot from one point of view because it's going to look different. It's going to have a lot of different things, uh, but it's also sort of the natural growth of a company. Okay, so these pivots weren't so much of a pivot as you would describe in Silicon Valley where you're totally changing your business model. This is more like you're, you're kind of upgrading as time goes on. Um, it's, it's somewhere in the middle, so I don't okay. know. Yeah, it's, it, it is somewhere in the middle. I, I, yeah. Okay, got it, yeah. Good. Okay, perfect. Um, 
So, you know, ra- wrapping it up here, a few more questions. I mean, what's, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Never forget your customers. Okay. Always remember, at every decision you make, always remember who are your most valued customers. What's the story behind that? Um, so the story behind that is uh, a lot of times, so we talked about doing these changes, is you need to, if you're doing a significant change, ask yourself, do I still want the, the, my customers, my old customers? And then you need to understand you either want them and then you can't forget them and make sure they still get what they want or completely abandon them and understand you're not going to see anything from them. And there really isn't a middle there. Okay, fair enough. And you know, one thing I like to always ask is also, you know, what's one productivity hack you can share? So for example, one thing I like to do when I wake up is I, I keep my phone far away and you know, that way I have to get out of my bed to turn on the, you know, to, to start my day. So what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try that. So uh, self-productivity or company productivity? Uh, you know, let's, let's, go with, let's go with both. Let's make it a two-pronged question. Wow, two. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, company productivity is something actually probably quite popular, so it might be uh, look like something that's obvious, but all hands meeting. So uh, making sure you basically group everyone in the company and talk to everyone in the company at least once every two weeks. Uh, I think that's extremely important to be productive as a company to over-communicate and do all hands. Um, self-productivity, take Ritalin. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, I, I like the company one, but, but you know, one thing, so, you know, I run a company too. We, we do our all hands, but we're obviously much smaller than 200 people. So when you have 200 people, I mean, who are you doing your, you know, who are you doing your one-on-one meetings with? Are you only doing it with your managers? Your, your, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what, what the structure is for your one-on-one meetings because they're very important. Right. So one-on-one meetings are usually my, my, my uh, direct, um, which are the executives uh, of the company, the VPs. Um, I do do group meetings as well. So uh, something I actually learned from Dick Costello. Okay. So just gather like groups of people in the company to sit with me in the room, uh, like 10 to 15 people, and just give feedback about what's working to them and what's not working to them. In these meetings, I'll also uh, explain to people that my door is open and they can always set up a 15-minute discussion with me um, whenever they want. So I'm trying to meet, I'd say, most of the people in the company within the frame of six months, but obviously as the company grows, it's, it's less. Okay. And are you, I'm assuming you might have like some process where your assistant kind of checks off who you've met with already and then you get, you go to the next batch. Is that how it works to make sure you don't meet the same people? Yeah. Yeah. And the group meetings, of course, it's managed by our HR, by our, by, by our human resources uh, uh, department. Okay. Perfect. Final question. Uh, you know, what's one must read book you can share with the audience? Do. 
must-read book, 1984. 1984? What's that all about? Wow, really? You haven't read 1984? I was born in 1986. Wow, you have to read 1984. Now I really feel old. But it's a George Orwell classic. So it's a sci-fi book, um, and uh, it describes the future, which is 1984, right? But it's been written in 1948. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's—I uh, won't tell you the entire story, but generally, it's you know, uh, you know, an envisioned future where you, so you are familiar with the term Big Brother, I assume. Yes. So that. that that sort of invented the term and, and the idea behind Big Brother. So you're always watched. There's a Big Brother. Uh, and, and what's interesting there is like there's two sides and uh, the two sides are sort of struggling. There's sort of uh, this war uh, in the background uh, and uh, you, you'll just have to read it to understand uh, why at least for me that book really changed my life and uh, help me understand that uh, everything is relative. Okay. Well, I'll have to check it out. No, that's a really interesting one that you recommended. Oh, anyway, um, Yoni Asio from eToro. Everyone, make sure to check out eToro if you're in Europe. Unfortunately, it's not in the United States yet. You know, we'll, we'll have to campaign for that. But uh, Yoni, we, we definitely want to have you on the show sometime again soon. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. Good luck for everybody. Thank you.